This is the PowerShell Podcast, the podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. You might just learn something. I think you'll enjoy it. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm... Uh, host Jordan Hammond with special superstar mega co-host Andrew Poir. And uh, today we have guest I am Jacoby, who I see you describe yourself as an ethical hacker. You kind of have to plug ethical in there for, you know, the legal team. <laughs> but uh, yeah, along those lines. All right. And so it's uh, I'm always interested in, in security. So we've talked to some people on the other side of security where they they try to prevent such things uh, from going through. And so I'm interested to see the other side where you try to deliver the payloads where the other speaker tried to block it. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the nemesis blue team um, definitely have some friends on the blue team. It's good to know them. They let slip their weaknesses all the time. <laughs> so What's your background? Kind of how'd you get started in IT at large, then kind of getting into security, and then I guess eventually cross paths with PowerShell? Um, I started messing around when I was a kid, just command prompt little tricks, you know, fake hacker things at first, and then uh, learning something that was a little more applicable. Um, so I've kind of been playing around with that forever. Um, a little hardware hacking. Uh, once PowerShell kind of picked up, um, and when I got I got out of the army in 2012, it was probably about 2011 when I started getting pretty big into the Hack Five series on YouTube, and just kind of seeing what they could do with the devices that they had. That was kind of my uh, bigger introduction into PowerShell, roughly around that time, and. Just everything that you can do, and you know, it's called lolpin living off the land. Um, it's just it's the way to go without having to introduce any kind of other dependencies or anything. And I, I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, since I had learned so much batch at the time, it wasn't that big of a switch over to PowerShell. Though, you know, a lot of people find the PowerShell language to be extremely um, difficult and non-forgiving. I don't quite agree, but. Um, that's just kind of how it progressed over the years. And in probably about the last year, I actually just finally went public, I guess, a little bit. I was always under the radar. Um, I reached out to some of the Hack5 team uh, and started publishing payloads for them uh, in probably about two months, maybe it took. I was at the top of their leaderboard for most published payloads. Now, of course, I, I had payloads saved up for probably like three or four years that I just never submitted. And uh, I met some people in there. I I got in touch with one of my good buddies now. Oh, actually, I'll leave the name out for now, but I might have a little security position with him opening up soon and uh, kind of get to do some red team stuff more official. So can you help me understand this whole Hack 5 payload thing? So um, Hack 5, I guess they have a place where you can upload payloads. And are these payloads specific to a certain device or just generic kind of payloads? So they have it categorized on their site. They have different GitHub repos for each of their devices individually. 
Um, some of them work well with others. Like you can, you know, use the same payloads on the rubber ducky for the bash bunny or the OMG devices, or even the key crack can take some of them. And then others, you got things like the shark jack, um, the plunder bug, or, or, you know, some different devices where the payloads aren't necessarily HID based. Like it's not a, you know, HID attack. Uh, but yeah, essentially they're all separated in their own repos and you can, you know, pick which ones that you want to contribute to, uh, each month they'll select out some like VIP ones or just some like really good ones and they'll give out some awards for, um, and then at the end of the year, they're having like a payload hero, um, like a hacker of the year vote sometime in December. Um, Nice. So just kind of at a high level, Hack5 makes some devices, some USB, maybe they connect over Ethernet, all, all different kinds. And correct, I guess they correct. have payloads. And, and you're kind of one of the people who creates a lot of these things to be executed. Correct. Do you, correct, just yeah. by chance, since we're on camera, do you have any devices you could show us? I know for the audio listeners, this doesn't do much, but if you had yeah, any, yeah, that's pretty sweet. Absolutely. 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 I guess we're plugging our YouTube, incidentally. <laughs> Um, so we got the hack five there, uh, oh, that middle one's not going to show up, but, um, this is actually my first award that I get. They give you hundred dollar gift cards and I kind of already had all the devices they had out at the time. So I just bought their, their case with one of every one of their patches, you know? Nice. Um, so that's, this is a handful of them. Um, there's a land turtle right here. So that'd be over ethernet. Uh, this is the key crock. It's a key logger. Um, then I have the USB nugget and the Wi-Fi nugget, which are separate, but they're basically one's HID based. The other one is, uh, you know, for some Wi-Fi hacking. Um, this guy right here is my favorite. Um, this, I love the HID based attacks. I do have the, you know, the Shark Jack and bug and all that but when it comes to the usb based attacks um that's what i love the most i have two of the different bash bunnies um this is the newer one uh the mark uh, seven that just came out um this is the new rubber ducky that just came out which this okay so this has got one of the most like revolutionary features that i've ever seen in my entire life when like when they announced this and uh, low key, I actually knew about this for a long time. I got fortunately, I'm in a position where I get to maybe talk about some things as they're being developed. But this has um, a feature on it called uh, keystroke reflection, right? And this thing just looks so, like a USB stick. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So this one also has um, one on both sides, so it's a C or an A. Um, but the keystroke reflection that they added to this specific rubber ducky and it's currently the only device on the market right now that has this um it, it's just it's it's almost mind-bogglingly amazing so maybe not a lot of people know this but you can test this out if you have two keyboards of your own right so you have the caps lock lights on your keyboard the, the lock lights num lock scroll lock caps lock right so Again, not a lot of people know this, but the lights aren't controlled by your keyboard. 
the lights are controlled by your computer itself. It sends a signal to the computer, which gets sent back to your keyboard. And you could see this in action by plugging in two keyboards at the same time. If you press caps lock um, on one of them, it'll light up on both keyboards. So that little communication is what this device is taking advantage of. Um, so it does data exfiltration specifically through the lock lights. Essentially, it uses the caps lock, num lock, and scroll lock to kind of do Morse code and exfil data off of a computer onto this device without it even being recognized as like a USB storage. So unlike corporate computers where they don't let you plug in USBs so you can't exfil data, doesn't matter. This doesn't show up as a storage, it shows up as a keyboard. And then you exfil to this keyboard using the scroll lock, num lock, caps lock lights. Um, that would be it's the terrifying. brainchild of Corbin over at Hack5, he's a legend. He's the one that like, basically programmed this whole thing in assembly language, like manually himself. Um, he's basically a god in the scene. Um, so holy yeah. crap, dude. So it's basically wild. you have like a payload or something running on a computer and it's able to exfiltrate data to a keyboard, basically making Correct. use of those like lights, which I guess kind of makes sense. I mean, when you explain it, but that's quite elaborate, you know, but a bit creative. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it's it's genius. And of course, you know, I use PowerShell specifically to grab whatever you want, whether it's Wi-Fi passwords or you're just doing a general scan of the PC or you're looking for certain documents, you know, um, you find documents, you know, called bank dot, you know, bank info dot text or something crazy like that. You can take all of those text files, you know, through PowerShell and then use PowerShell to write them over to uh write them over to the rubber ducky, which is just absolutely insane. So that's one of the coolest devices they have out, period. Um, of course, this is one of the greatest sets of devices that they have. These are the OMG cables. Um, each one of these is uh, essentially a wireless keyboard. It acts in the same way. It can um, you know, execute uh, keystroke-based payloads. So um, it types out at 140 characters a second. So you can write out a full you know, PowerShell payload um, directly from this, but it's disguised as a cable. So if you know you have your phone plugged in, that's on, hey, can, you, can, you, can I charge my phone real quick? As soon as I plug it in, it's over. And not only that, but it has a wireless access point. So once it's plugged in, you can actually connect to the cable itself with your phone. and. Uh, execute payloads like wirelessly from your phone at ridiculous distances, absolutely ridiculous distances. And two of these are the older cables. And then two of them I got at DEF CON, they're the elite cables. The elite cables can hold up to 200 payloads directly on them. The other ones are eight. They're key loggers. So if they're used as the cable in between a keyboard and the computer, it'll capture uh, the keystrokes. And then they added some extra features. Um, some uh, They have HID exfil, which is another way to exfil data over to the device without being recognized as storage. Um, it's beautiful. And then for their more like kind of um, conceal, or I don't want to say conceal because the cables are extremely concealed. 
They have the OMG plugs. Let me grab both of those. The OMG plugs. Um, one of these is the original. The white is the original. And then the black version is the one that they just released, which uh, MG, the creator of the OMG cable, he gave this to me at DEF CON. He handed me an envelope and said, don't open this here. I was like, I just finally met him for the first time too. So that was awesome. But this is like the elite cable. So it's got the HID XFIL 200 payloads, uh, just kind of a beefed up version. What it sounds like is if you get physical access to the device, there's not much you can do. So all of, all of your other like mitigation is kind of irrelevant at that point. Oh, hundred percent. 100%. And if you're good with PowerShell, because again, all it does is it acts as a keyboard, but it types out, you know, pre-written text wherever you want it. So, you know, you plug in a computer, you know, you hit Windows R to pull up the run box, and then you could type PowerShell commands directly into there. Um, or either use that to open PowerShell and type commands into there. I think that takes too long. So I use something, you know, I use IWR. Uh, invoke web request, invoke expression. I use those to download scripts from either GitHub, Dropbox, Pastebin, and execute them from there just because it's quicker. And if you're exfilling data, then you're already assuming they have a you know a Wi-Fi connection, an internet connection period. So you might as well just you know expedite the process. And then something we were kind of talking about uh, before the cameras were rolling, this is something that was really exciting. Um, I have a buddy on Twitter who posted the original concept for this. I just kind of uh, optimized it in PowerShell and um, expanded its possibilities. But um, some computers, uh, especially corporate computers, or I got to be careful what I list, mm -hmm. um, public computers, some of them use the PowerShell constrained language. So they don't let you use things like invoke web request, uh, invoke expression, stuff like that. So you can't download scripts. Now, of course, you can still fully type them out. It's just like my advanced recon payload is, you know, something like a thousand lines. So, you know, that would that would take a little bit. But um, you can actually store payloads on your website in your DNS text records on your website. And then you can use PowerShell. You can use NS lookup in PowerShell. Uh, NSLOOKUP will grab those different records from your website, and you could pull those down directly from your website and execute them using NSLOOKUP. NSLOOKUP is DNS-based. There is no company, there's no public computer that's going to be blocking DNS traffic. Uh, if you guys don't know, that's all internet traffic. That's all web pages. They're not going to block it. So unless they're specifically sniffing for it, it's just not going to happen. So even with constrained language, you know, there's ways around it. Um, yeah. I just wrote a PowerShell function. He made it so you can just use one DNS text record, which had a character limit of 250 um, or 248 to be specific. Um, I wrote a function that will pull them down in sequential order. You, you know, you name your records one, two, three, or you could use combinations like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you have three different payloads across, you know, nine text records. Um, but the possibilities are limitless. Like people make a lot of cool payloads with the devices by themselves. But if you take the time to learn PowerShell, it's it's insane what you can do. Yeah, I think earlier you mentioned living off the land. I think that's a really great example. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, 
use Python-based, um, I mean, I guess it's, it is, it's technically malware, you know, Python-based, but there's always like dependencies and stuff you have to get on their computer or, you know, executables you got to download to unpack this stuff. Executables are hard to get in sometimes. sometimes. There are definitely ways. Um, but yeah, uh, living off the land, that's just basically whenever you're using stuff that already comes with the computer, so you don't have to worry about something you download being blocked or stopped or denied, et cetera. So if, I'm, I'm just wondering, since I did go to the, the website, apparently you set specifically for people like me, what, what did I get on my computer when I went to, uh, to your website? Um, so there, there is nothing loaded up on the website currently. Um, I'm assuming you went to imjacoby.com. Yes, I, I didn't want yeah, to give yeah. the name. If uh... <laughs> yeah, 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 no, it's, it's fine. Um, so right now, I just, I just kind of threw some stuff up. Um, I just store stuff in the text records, and any of the web pages that will actually do something when you load it, they're all private. It's just private URLs that I'll share with friends. And you know, again, you want to open this up in a virtual machine. Don't do it on your main system. Now, a lot of the times, it'll just crash your computer you just have to restart it it's not like a super big deal um but yeah i just was uh doing research for the for the interview here and i'm like well what are the chances that this isn't this is uh related and it looks very professional it didn't look anything like uh like your youtube page or anything so i'm like oh it must not be related i was just going to ignore it that so. was, yeah that was the idea that was the idea make it a little bit more legitimate appearing correct so, so now we know that uh, I'm no good at this. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned constrained language mode, which I really appreciate because that's where my, my mind went. Because like we've heard about constrained language mode being kind of the solution uh, to not all of our answers, but, you know, a great thing to do. But it's clearly not a cure-all, and you need to be aware that there's definitely a lot of ways to kind of work around it. Correct, correct. Um, yeah. So... It, it's one of those is it kind of like with a wi-fi password like it's not not the most secure thing but if you have it they're most likely to pass you over to because there's plenty of people that don't have it so if you have constrained language mode are you more likely to move elsewhere unless you're specifically targeting or is it something where you don't care if it's there or not you're still gonna run your business it it comes down to who you're targeting uh, most of the time that you know attack campaigns like this take place um, it's all going to be, it, it won't be through like one of the devices that I just showed you. So it's not going to be delivered to your computer. Um, it'll be passed through like email, which is, you know, a huge phishing campaign going out to a bunch of people. So it's not necessarily massively targeting. So, um, constrained language will help in, in that example. Uh, however, if you are targeted, um, it won't matter. It won't matter um, if so, you really wanted to take. Oh, go ahead. So still a good idea, but like it's not a cure all. If someone's really looking for you and they're willing to go to your box, you know, you still might be exposed. Correct. Correct. Um, there are things that you can do to mitigate the chances of one of these attacks working um, for anybody that has any kind of programming knowledge already. Uh, you know, if you can go through Hack5's GitHub yourself and you can look at all the payloads, you can look at what variables they use, what directories they go after. You know, I use the app data folder a lot. Um, it's really easy to write to. Um, it's really easy to pull from. 
Um, the temp directory is one that's obviously used a lot. So one thing that you can do is go into your environment variables and change them. Don't call it the temp directory, call it the, you know, whatever, you know, storage directory. Um, on my VM, it's literally just called yeet. Um, just cause I think it's funny that everybody tries to, everybody tries, if you use like invoke web request to pull down a script, they always pull it down to the temp, not always 95% of the time, they'll pull it down to the temp directory and execute it from there. If that directory doesn't exist, you know, it's, it's going to fail. It won't write anywhere. So it sounds like if you're a security team in charge of defending things, you it sounds like the only kind of way to do it to the best level is to be current with what's going on, to be looking for things proactively, and to have right. kind of an environment where you're able to make changes quickly and there's not a ton of red tape or else, you know, if it takes a super long time for you to look for some of these common attacks, maybe uh, you'll, you'll kind of pay the price by then. Correct. Which, uh, playing with environment variables is a huge uh, mitigation that you can use to avert a lot of those attacks. Now, of course, that's keeping in mind that if you're talking about people that are using like the Hack5 repo, who are basically just copy pasting stuff onto their devices, or maybe some of them even try to adapt them for email or something like that, but they don't really know what they're doing. So um, yeah, those would definitely help. Now, again, if, if it's someone that's like knows what they're doing and they're targeting you, it won't a hundred percent matter because there's definitely ways around. There's ways to navigate through folders, doing recon of the, uh, the file structure before you start, um, trying to pull stuff down to it. Um, but as far as like, you know, 95% of the hacker base is script kitties who are just copy pasting code. It's, it's a huge help to, uh, you know, change those out. That's what I like about your, your YouTube series is in the middle of it, you stop and say, Hey, you could just copy this, but if you stay and listen, you'll actually be good at this instead of just copying my code. Like you, you call it out Correct, in every video. Yeah. I thought I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to plug that in, uh, because again, the main reason that I do those videos is to specifically teach people. Like I can't really determine what people do with it. Like I can't determine if they're just going to copy and paste it or if they're actually going to try to learn from it. But um, yeah, I do try to shame them in the middle of the video to at least try to learn something. And uh, I feel it's a pretty good <laughs> tactic. Um, uh, ideally, it's it's not good to just copy and paste code. I can't tell you how many people have like contacted me in my DMs to be like, hey, I just ran a bunch of your scripts and like, the PowerShell box open, but nothing happened. You know, they ran them wrong, but it's like, you're really running like all these scripts off the internet, like just on your home system. You have no idea what they do. It sounds like a, a new way for you to get a uh, deliver payload is people just run that without understanding what they're running. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear you uh, use the term script kids. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what do you call someone who just copy and paste scripts? Um, yeah. Yeah. Script kiddies. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was curious because in one of the videos was it was tracking mouse movement, and you were using for that the caps lock key. Were you using the caps lock key just because you needed the visual visual representation to light turning on and off, and you use something different? Or if not, why would you use caps lock as the as your I guess um, cycle through the so loop? So for that specific function that I wrote, I, I for the people listening, I wrote a mouse 
uh, movement detection function to, you can use it two different ways. You can determine when the mouse is moved, or you can use it to determine if the mouse hasn't been moved for a certain amount of time. Uh, again, the difference in those two would be, do you want what you're about to do to happen in front of their face? Or do you want to wait till there's an indicator that they're away from their system? Um, so it, it's written two different ways. Um, but the caps lock, I, I wanted to make it a short function. I didn't want to have to um, incorporate a mouse jiggler in there. The caps lock is essentially stopping the screen from going to sleep. Uh, for my mouse detection, where I use it to determine if they come back, I have different payloads. Uh, one's a jump scare. Uh, I just did a jump scare version two as well. The version one, uh, the script will run. Um, and then it's cool doing the IWR and waiting for the mouse movement because you could pull your device out after two and just walk away. For a lot of the payloads people write, you have to leave the device in and then remove it after the payload's done, like completely done. Um, for like my jump scare, it'll download and execute the script and then wait for a mouse movement. That way, you don't have to be there and plug it in while they're at their computer. It, what it does is it just changes their desktop background to like one of six scary, you know, scary images. And then it turns the volume to max and plays a scream sound um, once they move their mouse. Uh, so again, I don't want the screen to go to sleep when I walk away. So I just use the caps lock button going on and off. One is an indicator for myself or whoever uses it hey, the script is waiting and it's going. Um, and then also stops the screen from sleeping. And then there's also a function at the end of a lot of the bigger payloads that will return the caps lock state to where it was. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> Gotta be honest. Now, you mentioned a whole bunch of devices and even some cables, which was so wild. You held up like these cables and I thought you were just going to talk about some heavy duty cables that you like really liked how they connected. But no, it turns out these cables no. can be used to run commands and do all kinds of stuff. Um, if people want to get started with some of this stuff, maybe some of these Hack 5 devices, what is maybe one or two kind of great beginner devices that'll give you some fun stuff to run around your test computers and have some fun and learn? So basically, I do have a few of my favorite devices on a list, but like without a doubt, every single time I'm ever asked that, 100%, I always recommend the OMG plug. Um, it's just, again, it's, this is just like the cable made by the same guy. Uh, it's just a smaller form factor. I keep this on my keychain, literally everywhere that I go, I have it on me. Um, again, like I was saying earlier, you can plug this into a computer and then you can connect to this device itself. It will have a Wi-Fi network. You can change the name of it or whatever, but you know, it just says OMG as the Wi-Fi network. You connect to it with your phone. You go to a web browser. Uh, and from there, you can either load up scripts from saved slots, or I have a bunch of scripts saved on my phone, and I just copy and paste them into the execution window and run them. But this is a really, really good one to just kind of get started. Um, the new Rubber Ducky has such crazy advanced functionality. Uh, there's even some logic in the programming language itself. So without using PowerShell, you can use logic with just the you know keyboard itself, which is really, really cool. The only thing with the 
USB rubber ducky is every payload that you use. It can only hold one payload at a time, and each one has to be converted to a bin file. So you got to do that in advance. And it's really, it's, it's harder to troubleshoot because you have to convert it every time you make a change and then test run it, you know. But the OMG plug or the cable, if you want, uh, they're just so easy to jump into. You know, you just, you can type directly in the window on your phone. Just type GUI, GUI is the Windows key, right? G-U-I, uh, GUI R, and that'll open up the run box in the bottom of your screen. And then, you know, you type PowerShell, whatever you want. Um, so without a doubt, the OMG, and again, they have two different versions. The original OMG is $75. And then the Elite, which has 200 payload slots on it instead of eight. Well, this one essentially takes the same space that the Keylogger had, and it would let you convert it over to more payload space. But this one's 125. It comes with HID XFIL. Um, and it's got C2 um, capabilities. So basically, I could plug this into a target's computer, um, leave a Wi-Fi hotspot somewhere nearby, whether it's a spare phone or you buy one, have this device connect to that hotspot on that, on that phone or on that uh, you know little box that you buy or whatever, and you can connect to this device anywhere in the world. So I could have this plugged into the back of someone's tower at their house and then connect to it from my house. Um, so this one has more advanced functionality, but you can get the original if you're just starting off and want to learn. If you want to get ethical, you know how to get down. It's pretty cool, especially with the holiday season coming up. Treat yourself. Oh, indeed, <laughs> indeed. So uh, when we talk to Fernando, who's on... I don't. I don't want to say he's your opponent, but he's on the other side where he tries to uh, mitigate things. Guy. Like, yeah, blue team. Boo. He, he talks about a lot of uh, things. He comes in is like a lot of the codas obfuscation. Obfuscated. My, yeah. There we okay. go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where he just needs to figure out where it actually executes the code and stop that line. But uh, looking through the ones that you have for your payloads, is this? Do you not do that on these just because they're payloads? It assumes it goes into the devices plugging in directly, or is it something where? You just don't use it for your public examples. Um, I so I used obfuscation for one single of my public examples on my GitHub page, where I have all those different functions. At the very bottom, there's a UAC bypass um, that just uses PowerShell to get past the UAC prompt. Uh, that one is obfuscated. But that was mostly just so the same signature didn't get repeated a lot because it eventually it would just be, you know, it'd be caught and wouldn't work anymore. And I made a video for it and I just wanted that one to have as long of a shelf life as possible. But um, yeah, I definitely obfuscate my personal ones or certain lines you have to. A lot of the times it's really sad, but you can just convert something to base 64 and then reverse that text, reverse the base 64, and you can run it just like that. And that alone is enough to get past, like, you know, Windows Defender, for example. Maybe some people with more advanced uh, antiviruses, it'll catch it. But Windows Defender is not a, it's a novice target. Are there some things that you see um, when it, when red teaming that you're like, okay, this is an annoying, target 
Um, I know that you kind of mentioned constrained language mode isn't maybe the biggest, but are there some kind of like things that stick out? It's like, oh, this must be a team that's kind of doing their stuff the right way. Um, so that's kind of harder to say. Um, see, whenever you're doing something, whenever you're doing a campaign online, for example, through like uh, email phishing or um, DNS hijacking or something like that, even if you like somehow connected to their Wi-Fi or you do an evil twin attack and clone their Wi-Fi, whenever you're doing something like that, there's a lot more uh, obstacles in place that make doing your job extremely, extremely annoying, time-consuming, taxing, all the above. But if you are using the devices that I like to specialize in, that means you have physical access to their computer. And I got to be honest, it's it's kind of really easy. Um, you know, some people straight up disable um, they try to disable PowerShell um, and that can be annoying, but there are ways around that as well. Um, Even then, I think it comes down to there, there has to be a balance of usability versus security. If you're disabling PowerShell, you're, you're crippling your environment so bad. In my correct, opinion. Correct. Yeah. You could just take advantage of the logging and some other things to be a little proactive, maybe look for some stuff and, and then, you also got to think about your your target demographic, right? Um, for people that have malicious intent, you know they're they're purposely going after people who don't have as much cybersecurity awareness. You know that is your intended target. Um, yeah, absolutely. A lot of companies will get targeted, but that's by like groups of hackers that are like unbelievably skilled working together, right? As like an everyday person, like you or I, if one of those groups target you, it's over. It's just, it's over. They just don't normally go after small targets like that unless it's um, personal, I guess. You have, to, um, you have to make yourself visible for some reason that they don't like. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but for the most part, most targets are people that aren't as proficient uh, with defending themselves as everybody should be. Um, it's unfortunate, but like pretty much like one of the, the biggest attack vectors is ransomware, you know, that's probably like the top attack vector that's out has been for a long time, you know, just trying to lock people out of their system and then charging them to get access back to it. And unfortunately it is so easy to do. Like it is so, so easy to do. That's why you want to always back up your files um, get an external hard drive and, you know, do backups, you know, every night, it, depending on how much you use it, I guess, you know, but. That's so prevalent anymore that they actually have insurance for ransomware yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Dang. That's, <laughs> I love this. This is a bit different than our, our usual guest, Jordan. Wouldn't you say, you know, usually we're talking to, DevOps, sysadmins, or developers, and learning I wasn't scared enough. I thought I thought I had healthy caution, and it turns out that nope. I, I think that what kind of he's saying is you got to get your 
stuff in order or else you'll be uh, taken advantage of. And a large way to start getting the bandwidth to actually be proactive about things is to take advantage of automation and kind of doing things the right way. So uh, shout out to everybody out there. And, and honestly, a lot of times at companies, from what I've seen, they don't always have large security teams, especially if you're a smaller place. So a lot of times um, the security responsibilities fall to the sysadmins or whoever is in charge of maintaining the systems ordinarily. So you are so challenge. You are so painfully correct. Like um, I've worked so many jobs where, you know, we technically have like access to the Wi-Fi networks that are, that show up with, you know, your phone when you look or whatever, some of them are quote password protected, but I can't tell you how many times that I've been in a business, right. That has, uh, computers out. Let's say they have a bunch of computers on the floor that the employees use to log into, you know, to clock in in the morning. Those are on a different network than the actual corporate computers, the ones where, uh, you know, the guys up front are doing, you know, business on, not just little computers that are used to, uh, you know, clock in in the morning. Uh, so the Wi Fi passwords or the network password, you know, whatever, they're separate. But then you have people from the front office who come down to the main floor and they want to show someone something. And then they log into the corporate Wi-Fi from one of those computers. And, you know, that network profile is now stored on that device. And I go through and I just look every once in a while, different jobs that I've had. And, you know, you'll see so, so you know, guest Wi-Fi, and then you'll see, you know, their corporate one. And, you know, if you guys didn't know, those Wi-Fi passwords are stored in plain text. NetSHWLAN show profile key equals clear. And all of those Wi-Fi passwords are shown in plain text. And they leave their 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 corporate computer ones in there. And I always I always tell them, but somebody does it again, somebody does it again. Or one job I had, they had Ethernet ports on the wall you know, that they used to hook the TVs up to, that they, you know, shared reports on and everything. And they go out of their way to separate the networks. But for whatever reason, the Ethernet ports in the wall connect you to the corporate Wi-Fi. And it's like, you have now just, like, paved the road in gold for me. Like, it's just the doors unlock and open. Yeah, it's tough, uh, especially when you think about how easy it would be for someone to just kind of walk in at most places. Like some places have, you know, some form of security, but even still, um, you know, the amount of places that have proper, like legit access control and physical security is so slim, I feel, um, from what I've seen at least. Like, correct. Um, and you mentioned being on the internet a super long time messing around with command prompt back in the day. Um, I remember back in the day, like, uh, I guess social engineering still is the preferred method, but back then nobody had any concept of like being socially uh, oh, manipulated in any not. form on, on like aim or whatever back in the day. It was just, well, yeah, there was, really was, there was the no, wild west. Yeah. There was no HTTPS either. Everything was sent in plain text, you know, everything was sent in plain text. So it it was, it's wild. Like security is so much better now in a sense. Um, it was just like free range farming back then. It was terrifying, honestly, like in retrospect. Interesting times. 
here's a, I don't know how to exactly frame this as a question, but it's something I've kind of mentioned before. Um, what do you kind of make it that there's like different levels of understanding of what the current vulnerabilities are? Like there's kind of the general public, they have the least limited number of access. There's like nation states and, um, you know, advanced persistent threat kind of groups that have pretty, yeah, they got some pretty advanced knowledge of kind of vulnerabilities and some that have been going along for a while. Then there's like different kind of smaller hacker groups, be that white or gray or black or whatever, that kind of have their understanding. Um, What do you kind of make of how that is all distributed? And, And do you have, I mean it's kind of hard to have a feel for all of it, but do you have any feel for like where those APTs are relative to maybe some of the um, hacker groups, maybe compared to just the general public? I know it's a super loaded question and like Um, super weird. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot of variables to that one. Um, Essentially you're kind of wondering about the skill gap or a vulnerability gap in this case more specifically. Um, so it's, it's hard to say because things are always changing. It's just, you know, you got to pay attention to when big updates are rolled out. Um, that's when, you know, you got your bug bounty hunters that'll go farming some bug bounty, or I guess most of them as per their job, they will report them and they'll get those, uh, they'll get those, uh, taken care of, you know, they'll, they'll get it to the office that it needs to be for there to be corrective action to make it so that vulnerability isn't a problem anymore. But at the same time, you have probably just as many people who are trying to find one of those and sell it to one of those groups, you know, post it out there. The normal hackers that most people encounter, like most, most people encounter are, you know, using low tier botnets, low tier phishing campaigns uh, that don't take advantage of a lot of the unknown vulnerabilities that are out. Um, People like to keep these in very tight knit groups. It's very hard uh, to even get into one of those. So even most hackers won't necessarily have full awareness of what's out there and what's possible just because of how tight knit everything is. And, you know, the advanced persistent threats, uh, those are the guys that are out there coding with a whole team, you know, 18, 20 hours a day, just farming every single update that comes out, every single new program, you know, when zoom, you know, just blew up because, uh, you know, coronavirus, there were so many vulnerabilities that, you know, they w- they never knew about when they were smaller because they weren't really targeted. Nobody was really trying, but they just kind of blew up out of nowhere. And you, you saw like even just like the common thing where people were just like, you know, bombing in on random Zoom interviews and just yelling, making noises, and whatever else. Uh, there were also a lot of uh, security vulnerabilities. Um, LinkedIn just had a kind of a bad one probably like six months ago. Um, but eventually it'll get brought out, someone will leak it, and then they get patched up pretty quickly. Um, that's what I was saying earlier when I made the UAC bypass, or I want to be clear, I didn't make it. I just adapted one that was already out there. Um, I obfuscated that one even when I shared it publicly just so I could um, keep the signature hits down so maybe it'll last a little longer. 
And shockingly, um, that exploit has been around for a very long time. And uh, yeah, it still works perfectly fine. So I'm curious, when you see things like, I'm definitely not calling out any particular company, but someone has stored their credentials in clear text. Do you feel cheated from the victory or do you just take the free win? Um, I mean, hypothetically, if I did something like that, um, <laughs> it, it would, it would take the win out. Um, I, I'm an adrenaline junkie. Uh, I don't, I'm almost painfully empathetic, uh, overly empathetic all the time. So I definitely don't ever personally want to cause harm to anyone or make anybody's life difficult. Um, I just kind of like to see what's possible, what you can do with what's out there. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll, like I said, even when I find vulnerabilities at work, I always try to report it to someone to try to get a fix. I can tell you right now that 90% of the time, nothing happens or they implement something. And I realize, wow, the security team has no idea what they're doing. They just, you know, they just made the door slightly smaller. So I'm just not even going to say anything anymore. It's whatever, like. Sometimes people only learn from bad things happening. Sometimes the organizations have to learn and like paying the the price is the way that the orgs are like, okay, we'll actually prioritize this work and not drown yeah. you. Well, a lot of a lot of companies, they look at cybersecurity as a checklist and not like something to actually take seriously. They're like, in order for us to stay in business, technically we have to and so they just kind of go through the motions a lot of the time. And yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. I don't think it's the kind of thing you can just go through the motions. It's a cultural type thing. It needs to be kind of everywhere. You need to be really bought into it, I feel at least. And um, if you can't do that, you're going to pay the price. Um, yikes. And yeah, it's a challenge, dude. They it all seems like an uphill battle. Yeah. I mean, constantly, it's a constant game of cat and mouse, you know, more vulnerabilities come out, things get patched. Um, Zoom becomes the new thing. So um, paying attention to the traffic through there, it's just, it's constantly back and forth. Like you can't ever be complacent. It's like one of the most volatile, you know, environments that you can get into. So I'm not, not crazy that it does come in groups because I remember is a couple of years ago, it felt like every month it's like the print spooler got hit again. It, it's like if they find one that's bad enough, everyone just goes to try to find more. Is that what happens where you see it come in clusters like that or is it? Um, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the time what happens is somebody will do something big with a vulnerability that they found and they want to brag, but not give it away. So they will hint at what techniques they used or like what they did to find that vulnerability. And now all of a sudden you have a tidal wave of people that are running down that path and they will eventually find it. Like once you set people down that path, you know, they're going to scrub every single corner. They're going to play with every single variable. Like it's just, it's, it's wild to think about how many people are actually out there hunting these vulnerabilities. Like, you don't really know. It's not like there's any sort of consensus or, you know, or census rather, I'm sorry, um, keeping track of how many people are doing this, but it's an unreal number. Yeah. I recall for me, it was like a bit of an eye-opening experience when I kind of really realized that it's a big economy. 
And there's different people and different groups and all different market conditions where a dollar goes to different lengths and um, all over the world, specializing different parts of, of the, you know, getting access, exchanging access, selling that, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it really requires people and organizations to be on the ball with what's going on. Sounds like if you do get hit, you just hope the one that got you is someone that has empathy is my, my takeaway here. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that do just do it for the thrill. Um, but it, it's definitely financially motivated most of the time. So it's very unlikely, especially if it's a big hit. Now, of course, you know, you see things like um, a couple of the hits that just happened recently, um, you know, with like Uber, like that guy was just a troll. You know, he just wanted to troll. He didn't really, you know, do anything. He you know, made some social media posts with their accounts and just to say, Hey, look what I did. I got you. Um, well, that one went a little bit weird. Like it was, uh, the first view I had into the community where a lot of the people in that side of the community didn't seem to like him. And it's almost like they, uh, they opened the door for him to get caught. They, nobody helped him. Nobody yeah. helped him. But those are not as common, like, you know, coming out, you know, in the beginning when a lot of this was being popularized, like in the 80s, 90s, uh, when groups like LulSec were out running around, that's all it was about. It was all trolling. It was all, hey, look what I did and just bragging. But as the Internet grew and people started seeing the kind of money that you can make off of it, which is insane, because like you were saying earlier, these companies, they have insurance, right? You know, if you hit the right hospital or some sort of uh, essential uh, infrastructure, their insurance is going to pay out unless they have, you know, like full backups in place or which, again, that's what a lot of places do. But you'd be shocked at like how bad the security is even at like hospitals, you know, but they have all those records in there, all that financial data, all their um you know, just information on their machines, just everything, their insurance will pay out. Like that's why they got insurance. So they won't ever announce it. They don't talk about that publicly, but they're not going to be like, Hey, we got hit and we paid out. No, they're going to, they don't want to like make that scare. You know what I mean? They're going to pay out and shut up. Even if you have like immutable backups and you can restore, they still have your data. So you're still going to have to pay them or they're like, okay, we don't, oh, you don't need us to unlock your data, but if you don't give us money, we're going to publish we're gonna leak it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That is still the thing. 100%. Um, depending on, you know, how much they exfilled, um, or what kind of uh, backdoor access they have, what kind of C2, um, they have set up. Yeah. hundred percent. They'll, they'll threaten to leak it, whatever it is, especially if it's financial data. So I, I suppose when it comes to like, say you have been hit and they threaten to leak it, is it just kind of an honor thing where they're not going to leak it if you pay because they want people to pay in the future that they hit and they want that to be known? Or is it, what's the risk of them leaking it anyway, I guess is my question. It, it depends. Um, there, you know, there are different hackers. There are hackers that do it completely just straight for the money, Right. And then there are others that are doing it as some sort of movement or trying to get a message across. 
if it's one of those people that are trying to get a message across, there's a good chance they're going to take your money and then leak it anyways. But if it's the people that, you know, are putting their group's name on it every time, um, they're probably not going to leak it because uh, you got to think all these uh, cybersecurity professionals are talking to each other. And, uh, you know, if they start hearing that, hey, these guys are leaking it anyways, you know what I mean? Like we have all these incident reports of them getting paid out and then just leaking it anyways. And we're like, well, they're going to leak it. We just need to do damage control right now. Paying is no longer an option. So for those, I wouldn't say it's necessarily complete. I won't say it's honor because they're not like, oh, you paid me. I'm going to do the right thing. It's it, it, I want to continue to get paid. So I'm not going to leak your stuff because I'm going to go hit the next reputation target. Reputation matters. Yeah. So it's correct. Yeah, correct. It's so weird. It is people at the end of the day within those black hat organizations and within the people who negotiate uh, whatever the settlements with the groups who have access and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's all people. Yeah. Um, and so, still to this day, social engineering is still one of the biggest ins. Like a lot of these aren't through 100% through vulnerabilities or even the vulnerabilities that they get in, they go through a person first, you know, someone that reuses passwords, their work password, their home password. Um, you know, you do, uh, password spraying, you know, where you just, you know, find an email, find a leaked password, and you just throw that combination in a bunch of different social medias, a bunch of, you know, whatever, and just seeing where it hits. And it's shocking how many people reuse the exact same email, exact same username, exact same password. Yeah. Cause I guess there'll be like, um, password leaks and then, you know, they'll be exchanged and boom, your password's out there. It can be used in like you're saying password spraying attacks where it's just one of thousands of credentials that are tried on a handful of websites because they were leaked on, on one place. And if you reuse your passwords, which a lot, if you're in it, you've probably heard not to do that, but yeah, for sure. A lot of people do that. Um, And if you're a researcher or if you're a black hat person, uh, it's, not hard to be aware of kind of what's out there and and i'm not but i like kind of realized that a lot of the researchers download a lot of these leaked kind of databases so they can kind of stay current with what maybe the hackers would understand and yeah it was kind of interesting for me right yeah that's you know that's the whole concept behind um you know have i been pond.com troy hunt uh, you know he put that together um he he keeps a lot of the He'll decide what databases that he merges with his own of collected, uh, just in case you know they are not going to leak it. Like he knows that there's been a breach, but they're not necessarily going to leak it themselves, so he might not merge with his database. But yeah, at the same time, anybody can go on there. Go ahead, type in one of your emails. You know, I I did that you know a couple of years ago. I forgot about an email that I used during high school, and you know went through and you know typed it in and it showed the different social medias that I used in like, you know, middle school and there was passwords, emails, just like everything. It's, it's alarming. And some people use that same password 10 years later. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's important that like once that's in a password list, it's still accessible somewhere on some market in some place in somebody's saved little thing somewhere. So change your passwords, take advantage of have I been pwned. Like, you have to use different passwords. You have to change them um, because there are some password leaks that are known 
And there are some that aren't. Like, that's just a fact. There are some that we don't know about quite yet. And maybe your email's in there. So I hope you're not reusing it all over the place and you're going to like leak access to your organization. That would be a bummer. Well, I'm curious where you've made, you know, ethical hacking such a, a large part of your life. Does it make you more paranoid or are you more secure because you're aware of what goes on? Like, does the knowledge make you uh, feel safer or or uh, secure or or scared? I guess. Um, both, both for sure. Um, I mean, I I practice pretty good. Um, you know, I have pretty good security practices, good opsec. Uh, so. In that sense, I feel safer. I know little things to look out for. I know, you know, how to scan. Like, I am red team based, but knowing how the red team works, I know what to look for on my computer. You know what I mean? Like, little things that people should do is look up, look at your startup folder every once in a while. Are there programs in there you don't recognize? Terminate them immediately. You know, don't let that run. Uh, but at the same time, I know that because of everything that I do know, I know that if I am explicitly targeted by certain people, groups or whatever, you know, it, it's over, it's over. There is, there are so many zero days out there that people don't know about. Or even like I was saying, my UAC bypass that I use lets you run admin level, you know, commands uh, right from the PowerShell window. Um, without popping up that UAC window, you know, for the people that don't know, you know how you uh, execute certain programs, you run certain programs, your screen will blink, it'll beep, and it'll pop up that little box that says, are you sure you want to let this program do yada, 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 and you have to click, um, you know, okay, or cancel. That is a whole different desktop, right? That desktop is separate from your desktop, right? So, you can't pass variables to it. So malware that's downloaded from online, it can't press that OK button. But I can get around having that box pop up at all. And that there's there's a couple of different um, exploits that you can use to do that. And the one that I posted in my YouTube video that I did obfuscate, that one's been around for a long time and it's, it's still there. Um, now, if you're using something like, you know, one of these keystroke injection attacks, you know, you can just, you know, GUI, R, PowerShell, um, Control, Shift, Enter, right? Because it replicates keystrokes. So you press Control, Shift, Enter. That's how to open it in admin, right? In, in With admin permissions, that box will pop up and then you can make your keyboard type Alt, Y, and that's yes. And then it just opens, you know, an admin prompt. Um, I don't personally like doing that. I like using my bypass. If you do it with the keystroke injection, what happens if they don't have admin permissions? Now you're going to be typing out the rest of those keystrokes on their desktop and you don't know what that's going to do. You know what I mean? It'll make a mess or whatever. Um, I like doing it programmatically. That way, if the UAC bypass fails because they don't have admin permissions, then the rest of the script just stops. I have a weird question. I, I don't know if it's that weird. But let's say you're someone who knows some PowerShell, but you've done no hacking, and you want to become an Uber lead hacksaw, such as yourself. What's what are the steps you kind of need to start taking to go from uh, zero to hero in the red team sense? Um, so I mean, the only difference between a sysadmin and a hacker is intent, 
really like guys that know their stuff they you know they know where that sensitive information is kept it's just a matter of learning things like where do i where do i exfil this data to you know that's something you might not ever think of as a sysadmin necessarily um you know you're setting up stuff on the computer uh maybe you're running scripts that um are you know, you're trying to put a bunch of different programs on a bunch of computers on your network. So you're, you're remote desktoping into each one of them and you have a little script that'll set up each computer. While you are just setting up the programs you're supposed to, what happens if you slipped in a little one that you're not supposed to, you know? It's really just intent. But learning, looking up what information is most often targeted um, is really pretty much just the best way to get started like what can you do with wi-fi credentials uh what what can you do once you're on the same network um you know with powershell you know you know how to use the different recon commands to find out the specs of the computer is remote desktop enabled um really just kind of getting yourself into the mindset of a hacker looking at the hack five repository looking at what a bunch of those different payloads are targeting um, you know, that's one of the ways that I kind of got started some years ago. Now, in the last couple of years, I actually don't even look at the repository anymore. Unless it's one of my friends, it's like, hey, look what I did, then I'll go look. But for me personally, I don't like to look at other people's work because it kind of kills your own creativity or the weird ways that you you would think up to do something because, you know, you're coming from scratch as opposed to, you know, having a different method from someone else subconsciously in your head. Um, but if you are just getting started, there's definitely no shame or anything in looking at other people's work. That's one of the reasons I made my PowerShell for Hackers um, series. Um, it started out just with the GitHub, and then I spent a painstaking month going through and making an individual video for every single function. And that was pain. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. That was pure pain. Uh, fortunately, now I'm just making one video per new function I add. I did like 21 of them at once. It was just pain. But going through my PowerShell for Hackers repository, um, you know, I, I have individual functions detect uh, mouse movement, funny things like changing the wallpaper, playing a certain sound. But I have one where you can look up people's geolocation. Um, it gets their current longitude and latitude coordinates. I have a payload. Uh, called We Found You, where it'll grab those coordinates. And then there's a website you can go to where you can type the latitude and longitude in the actual address of the website. It'll open up a map of that location. So I have one payload that will open up a map of your location and then use the SAPI speak uh, you know, through PowerShell. It, it's you know used for accessibility. It'll speak out to you. And you know it just has a little anonymous style message. We know who you are. We know where you are. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. But um, kind of just going through, even just looking at the functions that I made just to get a sense of what is possible. I try to make it modular. That way people can just combine certain ones and play around. And those are a lot of those are just beginner style functions. But once you kind of have an idea of what is possible, what you can do, you could start reconnecting those uh, possibilities and create your own. So here's a question that I've had since I first went into your, your Git. 
Is Luther and Hobo based on real cats? Yes, yes, they are. Yeah. Um, so Luther was given to me right after I got out of the military. Um, tried to help me find grounding. Uh, Luther honestly saved my life, um, 100%. I, I just, like through a lot of horrible times, I just knew that I had to be here for Luther and uh, uh, Luther was there for me. And I rescued Hobo. Um, I moved out of state probably a couple months after getting back. I found Hobo. Um, I thought she was a boy. That's what the vet told me. Uh, she had kittens. And um, uh, my girl that I started dating a couple years after that, that I'm currently dating now, um, we both had cats and uh, we sort of have a little rescue going on. Um, but uh, yeah, the cats have been a drive for everything that I've ever done in my life since getting out and Luther and Hobo started it. So yeah, Luther is in my logo and my emblem that I use for everything. And then in all of my GitHub repos in the, in the code, I have a little banner up there of Luther and Hobo sitting there uh, just looking at the moon. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. No, I, th I think it's awesome just because dogs get too much credit. Cats are awesome. Cats are where it's at. I've had my cat for 20 years. He's Lazarus. Wow. He's made through several moves with me, and I, I love that cat to death. He's super angry now, but he's earned it at 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about mm -hmm. you. mentioned you went public a year ago or kind of decided to, to step forward and, and be a public-facing figure. What? Uh, went into that decision and what do you make of the whole being a public figure now and you know you have a successful youtube channel that you've been you mentioned investing some time into and it's had some good success like what's up with that it's a bit quite a bit of a change from the whole uh behind the scenes thing so that one's that one's complicated um i really really struggled when i got out of the military and i uh I, I got to a point where I actually didn't end up leaving my house for something like four years. And all I did was like program. And uh, uh, that's when I, you know, messed with a lot of the hack five payloads. And it was just like that for a long time. I uh, met the girl that I'm currently with. And somehow, I don't even know how, I gained the courage to fly out, out of state to go meet her. I did that twice and then corona came and didn't get to do it again for like 10 months but i i definitely deal by i mean i still do to be honest uh, i had really bad imposter syndrome for a long long time no matter how much work i put in i just i didn't feel i was on the caliber of the people around me and uh um honestly just being with her uh made me feel better about myself and just got me to start at least trying a few things. And I, I finally just reached out to the hack five discord. I just wanted to ask a question real quick. Um, and I just started submitting some payloads. I was like, you know what, fine. I'm going to go ahead and submit some. Uh, and my first one got submitted. I got really excited. Then I submitted two more at once. They got accepted. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. They actually like what I'm doing. And then I got in contact with Darren. He's the CEO of Hack5. And I was like, hey, how many can I submit at once? And he's like, we like usually one per pull request. I was like, but what if I wanted to submit 
a lot. And he's like, all right, so we won't normally do this, but I'll look out for your pull request this time. And I ended up submitting, I think like 33 payloads at once that I just kind of had stocked up for a while. Um, they all got accepted and I immediately was in first place on the leaderboard for having the most published payloads, which was insane to me because, you know, even being on the leaderboard at all was a goal for like years and years and years. I just never tried. And to be honest, after that kind of first bit of success, I, um, the ego got boosted a little bit and I just kind of started, you know, reaching out to more people. And I've fortunately, it's I'm, honestly, I'm still kind of in shock. Uh, I've gotten to talk with like, or work with like some of the biggest names, like some of the biggest hackers in the world, uh, reaching out to hack five. That one time I got in touch with MG. MG is the one who created these cables and the OMG plugs. Um, dude's a legend. And we hit it off right away. And we talked every day for like months and months after that, um, constantly getting feedback. I eventually got to talk to people like John Hammond, who's a legend, uh, Zero Day, who I mentioned earlier. Zero Day is the number one ranked competitive CTF player in the world. He's number one on Hack the Box, uh, number one on Try Hack Me. Like he's just an absolute legend. And, um, I guess low key getting the cosine from a couple of those people just um, that helped. The, we'll say that helped the imposter syndrome like a, a good bit, a good bit. And um, so it, it sounds like you I, need to be a part of two awesome communities then because PowerShell, we, we know is awesome. We talk about that all the time, but it oh, sounds like uh, the. Oh, I, that's you guys. I, I love your guys' show. Like, you don't, you don't understand how much I get bullied in my own Discord. <laughs> because like my favorite language is PowerShell. I know probably about 10 programming languages, but knowing that HID attacks are without a doubt my favorite, they're just the most fun. Um, I love PowerShell. Like um, it's just, it's, it's so fun to see what you can do with a computer without having to download anything, without having any dependencies, without anything sometimes it's harder more complicated more time consuming but it's like that much more rewarding so like when i saw you guys start popping up i'm like there's no way there's a whole community just for just for powershell these guys literally just do powershell and i was i was really excited like i said i get bullied i get bullied because i use powershell and then i also still program still in notepad like everybody always uses these different source Ooh. code, ed, you know, different editors and whatever. I still code in Notepad. I, like, I noticed that in your videos, you always you'd have your code in Notepad, <laughs> and then you would copy and paste it into PowerShell when you were showing it. And I was, I was wondering if it was just uh, for presentation, but it's just Notepads which you use. No, yeah, I so I use Notepad. Like I was mentioning earlier, I um I don't look at other I don't look at the repository to look at the other payloads on there because I don't want it to. Um. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want it to shape, shape what I do, creativity. you know? Yeah. So there's a couple things that I do like that. I noticed that one of the questions you guys had written down is what modules do you like? I don't. I don't like using other modules. I like writing stuff completely from scratch. I don't use other code editors because I don't like autocomplete, right? Um. There's those little things that happen in your life that completely like change the trajectory of it, right? I was in second grade and we were writing these papers, right? We wrote these papers and then we had to go up to the teacher. She would go through our papers one at a time in line 
and she would make corrections and then you'd go rewrite the final form of it. There was this girl in front of me and she got hers graded by the teacher. She went through and proofread it. And she's like, the only thing you missed was a single comma. So I'm not going to write it in pen. If you want, you can take your pencil and just write the comma and you're good. You don't have to redo it. And she looked right at the teacher and she's like, no, I'm going to redo it. And I can't tell you how long I sat there and thought about that moment. And I was like, why, why would she do that? All she had to do is write a comma, right? She was like the smartest person in this entire school. Why would she do that? And then I started thinking, I was like, wait a minute, maybe that's why she's the smartest person in this whole school. It's because she does redo it. So that has completely shaped my thinking for, for the rest of my life. So I don't like using autocomplete because if you don't type it out yourself, you know, it, you're not going to learn it as quick. You know, eventually you type half the thing, you hit tab and it just fills it in for you. It doesn't sink in as much. So I don't like looking at the other payloads. I don't like using modules and I don't like using any code editor with autocomplete. With the latest PS read line, it's not even a tab. It will go through your command history. And, oh, yeah. And have, oh, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. For, oh, I, mean, I know, I know. Yeah. In, in seven. Yeah. In seven. It's ridiculous. <laughs> But, sounds um, like that's your yes. nightmare, though. Yeah, I, I, I don't use it. I don't use it. <laughs> Dude, what an interesting journey. We, we went from you telling this beautiful journey about you and the, and the cats and the coming into security and the dealing with imposter syndrome and, and all that kind of awesome stuff. And it's It's been a wild ride. It's been a wild <laughs> ride. Gosh, man, I, I found that, you know, it kind of sounds like he's done a similar thing to us when, when you're feeling it, when the people are saying, Hey, and you're feeling like, Hey, I can do this. You do this and, and you yeah. go public yep. and you push that next step. And then when you're kind of like, Oh crap, what am I doing? Well, you've already taken that step. So you can have a couple months to kind of breathe, but you are where you are. And then, yeah, there's going to be an eventual next push where we kind of push our boundaries, but. It's very cool to hear you express kind of your security journey that kind of mirrors a lot of the PowerShell journeys we've heard of, where there's some mentorship, some encouragement, a whole lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of kind of wondering where things would go and, and facing things. And it's awesome. Yeah, um, that's been, without a doubt, probably the greatest thing I ever did was finally reaching out. And that's probably something that, like, if you, I really can't emphasize it enough, like, Here's the thing. I actually, you know, I started sharing my stuff and then I found out, you know, once I started getting co-signed by some people, I was like, oh, I actually do know my stuff. And that made me more confident to share more work. But here's the thing, right? Even if you do reach out and you find out you don't know as much as you thought you did, you are now surrounded by people who I'm telling you are going to be eager to help you along the way. Like, I can't tell you how much I've grown in the last year because I'm not doing everything on my own. I have people that I can spitball things with. I have people who've written other programs that have uh, you know, similar functions in it or something or similar concepts or some way to uh, inspire or just whatever it is. Um, everywhere that I've been, there are always going to be those elitists who are just, they're dicks and they want to like make what they do sound harder, make them look cooler. But that's honestly not the majority. And that's not what I thought for a long time. Because the last time that I was kind of public, I guess it wasn't always like that. It was back when there was like IRC. You know what I mean? And back then it was brutal. It was you prove yourself or like get lost, period. Like, unless you have something to teach us, we're not teaching you anything. 
Um, it's not like that anymore. There are so many cool communities that are eager to share their knowledge. Uh, it that's just a different landscape now, and it's it's awesome. I'm super into that. I'm into that part of the world. I, I'm interested in, you know, we have the internet that has this huge body of knowledge, and then we have these small groups and people communicating who are hopefully as time goes on getting more and more like you're talking about, quick to ask for help, quick to give positive kind of constructive feedback, and so on and so forth. I mean, what can humans accomplish when we kind of make use of all these resources and maybe stop arguing so much and, and stop fighting, uh, see what we can do. Maybe we'll have a more secure world at the very least. For, for Andrew, he doesn't just dive into the communities. He drags me kicking and screaming. <laughs> I Not me at first, but yeah, that's that's I'm finally diving into a bunch of community. Though it, it is really weird now, just because the communities I dive into typically, you know, they're often a lot of time in the Hack5 Discord as well. So it's been really, really weird for me going into these different communities and having people like already know who I was or know my work or like my repositories or whatnot, that part has been surreal, uh, surreal to say the least. Yeah. One thing I like to remind myself of whenever I'm grasping with like, wait, what, this is real. How could, you know, I'm just a normie. Like what's up with this? I'm just a normal person doing my thing. Is that, you know, anyone can do really awesome, amazing things and, and reach their goals. If they really put themselves out there and really learn and kind of, you know, make some mistakes and learn from it. And I think that you're an example of that. And a lot of other people who are successful are examples of just people who have put themselves out there, taken some chances, pushed themselves when things have gotten shaky and they've been reaching those moments of like, Oh crap, should I really do this? Should I not? And they decided to do it. Well, you know, there's some cool stuff there. Yeah, I mean, you only the people that you see out in the main space, you only see them because they're already out in the main space. Like they're past that. I don't want to say completely past that struggle period because I'm telling you, some of the top top people in this field, they still have impossible imposter syndrome. Like some of these people that are, are deemed legends, like legends in the space that I've gotten to talk to personally. And they're like, I, I wake up every day and I'm like, you're a fraud. It doesn't matter that you're at the top of this leaderboard or it doesn't matter that you made this thing or that everybody celebrates you for this. They're like, I am a total fraud. I have no idea how I faked it this long. Um, so that you're not even close to alone. And that was one of the things that helped me, like apart from just um, everybody being so nice and you know offering good constructive criticism when the time came, but you talk to those people, you know, I've like, I've literally gotten to talk to all of my heroes, but I've met most of them at DEF CON, to be honest. But I mean, from Network Chuck just followed me on Twitter two days ago, and I almost, I almost lost my ish. Um, he retweeted, I, I made this payload um, uh, called YT Sub. It makes people automatically subscribe to my YouTube channel. So I decided I was going to make a second version where I just grabbed a bunch of my favorite channels. Uh, favorite YouTube channels, and I made like a list of like 17 of them. It was like Network Chuck, John Hammond, and Intelligi um, Technology Interpreters, um, Stoke, and just a bunch of those, and uh, posted that. And Network Chuck retweeted that, that I lost it. Um, getting to talk to John Hammond, Zero Day, MG, uh, meeting Namasek and Jason Haddix at DEF CON. Um, yeah, and then you talk to them. Like I, I got to a point where some of them, not all of them, like network truck just follow me. I haven't talked to them, but they, you know, they talk about their struggles, and you're like, oh my god, like 
these people go through it too. It's not just you. Um, and that was really inspiring for me and helped me to kind of push past it myself. For sure, man. We're all, we're all people and these human things that we experience that we think are unique to us are totally not like we are not as special as we may feel or as unique as we may feel. And, and our suffering isn't quite as unique as it may feel. And we're not as effed up as we may feel compared to others. It's kind of a weird human thing, but definitely through community is how we can kind of get through it all. You know, we don't have to do it all together. Like you've highlighted, we can do it through the community, whether it be the PowerShell community, the security community, your community at work, whatever else you got going on. Um, yeah. I, I love this stuff personally. I love this real life stuff because this is what it's all about. Um, you know, we're talking about things that apply to PowerShell, that apply to security, that apply to really everything. And to me, those things are the most exciting topics. Agreed. All right. Well, I, I was going to dive into the, the common parameters, but I think we know the answer answer to the first one already. Oh, we oh, need to, wait, I think we need to highlight. Out. Yeah. No, we've oh. talked about a lot of great stuff. You, you mentioned... No, I'm sorry, Jordan. I'm sorry. I'm just excited. There's a course about PowerShell for hackers that we mentioned. Where can we find this course and, and where can we keep track of you, your communities? What's new with the I am Jacoby world? Um, so I for the PowerShell for hackers, um, I have a written tutorial. Some people like to just see it written out, see the code examples, and then also the video uh, tutorials just for people that need more beginner based that need help being like walked through and shown how the different variables work, et cetera. Um, the videos on YouTube, all of my social medias is just, I am Jacoby, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, um, YouTube, uh, my GitHub, um, GitHub of course is where I have all the code posted. You can look at the examples. Uh, a lot of the payloads that I have, they're plug and play. Like I have them downloading code directly off of my GitHub itself. So they work without any modifications. Um, you can kind of reach me in any one of those social medias. Uh, Discord is probably where we're most active as a community, you know, just helping each other build up whatever it is. Awesome. Yeah, I've been in your Discord for a while now. It's It's been cool to see it transform. Um, and now it seems like you got all these cool channels, you got sub counts, you got icons. It's, it's a jive in place, man. Active communication, some cool stuff there. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I also, oh, sorry. I, yeah, I, um, so I've also been an artist just as long as I've been doing this. So for all of my videos, all the animations, all the illustrations, like I do my videos bottom to top from scratch, um, all the emblems, icons, custom emojis and stuff like, there's just like random members have their own emojis of their uh, profile picture spinning or whatever else on a coin, just kind of fun things like that. It's, um, it's exciting. Awesome. Any gaming? I, I saw there might've been some gaming stuff in the past. What are you gaming on these days? Anything? Um, I kind of went through phases. Um, before I was using this channel for hacking, I actually, I was streaming Fortnite for like uh, two or three years, I think. Uh, then kind of got into Warzone big, and then it's it's pretty much slowed down. I, I kind of started picking up and playing a couple of games again recently, but uh, I'm trying to keep it to a minimum just because of everything that kind of got going on right now, um, which again is wild. Um, I did a video with Hack5. I'm supposed to be doing some more with them in the future. 
Um, Lab 401 is their official reseller in Europe. I just did a video with them. They haven't released it yet, but I'm supposed to be doing constant videos with them. It's just, it's the opportunities have been coming out recently have just been kind of insane. I'm supposed to be doing a video with Zero Day here soon. Um, I was telling you, this was before recording, but I got a job interview tomorrow. I'm not going to talk about that yet unless I land it. But if I do, that it's going to be an insane, like absolutely game-changing opportunity. So hopefully that plays out well. But uh, life has been really, really good recently. It's awesome to hear. All the best. You know, I, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm, I'm certain good things are going to come because I'm pretty certain whenever you see someone kind of putting their personal brand out there, really learning, um, really doing their thing, eventually things usually pan out. So if it's this job, if it's the next one, whatever, I'm, I'm excited to see how your journey continues unfolding because it's been pretty awesome so far. But Jordan, you got to take us away. Where are we going next, man? Where are you taking us? Uh, the common parameters, if, if you'll oh. allow me. Oh, you, gosh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. take so, away, man. I, I suspect we know the answer to number one. Uh, what are your three favorite modules? And yeah, that, no, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of modules. I just started publishing a few of my own just to play with, and I have a lot more in the works. But as far as like looking at other people's modules, I, I like to come across problems individually myself and try to figure out how to uh, make solutions for it. Um, unless someone points one out to me that I can use as a reference, I guess, then I might like peek at it, but I maybe have one module downloaded, like maybe. Um, so yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, with all the knowledge you have now, what's one tip you would give your younger self when first starting out? Um, don't start trying to break into, don't, not try to break into some communities like earlier like uh being the dumbest person in the room is so unbelievably underrated like a lot of people you know you look at it and you're like oh it's so embarrassing and there's all these people and i don't deserve to be no you are surrounded by people with all the knowledge that you could ever want and you might think that they're they're would turn out to be like snooty or elitist. But in my experience now, especially now, if we're talking about now, uh, people are so eager to share what they know. And sometimes I think about where I could have been if I um, reached out sooner, if I would have started communicating with these people. And uh, I don't want to say necessarily that I regret it because I, I do like the path that I took, but um I just wouldn't recommend it for anyone else. Definitely start off in the community, even small, just with some friends. It's you have more motivation. Um, reach out. It's just how humans work best. We we're we're kind of meant for this whole interaction thing. Just kind of, if you look back at things, I think we we're kind of work well together. Um, and I love highlighting that being a noob. By being the total noob and open to hearing explanations from anybody, you provide a lot of those people that are like, or maybe one or two steps past a noob to explain some stuff to you to kind of give back because they've already been through this whole noob thing and have learned from everybody around them. Now you kind of provide them the opportunity to feel like not only they know something, but they can kind of solidify some knowledge. They can pass some stuff on to you. It's just the way things, the way that these systems are supposed to, to go. 
We're supposed to get new people in who learn things, who ask questions, they learn, and then eventually they teach in their own way. Whether that be by making a PowerShell for hackers video or by just answering questions in a chat or you know helping out at work, whatever. So you probably picked up on this vibe, Jacoby, but in 2018, Andrew won the scholarship for the PowerShell Summit and he was awesome. frantic with energy absorbing from everybody. It, it was it was exhausting to watch, but he he went everywhere and learned. I think everyone in that place, except for me, taught him something over that one week. Yeah, embracing your vulnerability of being a noob, you know, as it were. But people are accepting. People, this is a, a professional thing, you know. We're not like middle schoolers. Nobody's going to like, at least in the communities I frequent, they're not going to bully you and kind of make fun of you. They'll embrace you for being honest. And if you're actually trying to learn, it'll be cool to see the progression. As long as you're not, like we were covering earlier, as long as you're not just trying to like copy and paste work, like when people can differentiate those kind of people very, very quickly, so if you literally just like put out the energy that you want to learn, that this is something that interests you, when I see that kind of passion in someone, like I've helped a bunch of people write their first payloads, you know, uh, help them try to get on the leaderboard or whatever else. You can, you can recognize those people, the ones that actually, actually want to learn something. And I got to tell you, like teaching is the best feeling in the world for me. Um, maybe that's not the same for everyone, but Almost everyone likes sharing knowledge to a degree. I like it enough that I'm trying to make a thing out of it. You know, that's what my whole channel is about. Um, but just seeing that passion in someone else and then knowing that I can in some way at all help them get into the direction that they need to go so they can feel like I currently do now. I literally can't think of anything that feels more rewarding than that, than to you know, when I found the thing that makes, you know, almost gives me purpose, makes me feel like I'm excited to wake up the next day, excited to learn something. And I can in any way, shape or form help someone else start to feel like that. It's just, that's everything to me. Yep. And you're not alone, man. It's such a human thing to love that kind of teaching thing. I mean, I'll, you may enjoy it more than some, but like, you know, for people out there, People love teaching. Be there to learn. And when someone does a good job teaching you, say thank you. It makes a difference. You know, that could be their encouragement to stick along their path and to take their next step, which is going to be different than your next step. And it's, it's this kind of cool system that's all kind of playing along and interacting nicely. Right, you ready for the last of the common parameters? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right, uh, what is one time something went wrong on the job and how did you handle it and what did you learn? That one's a tough one. Uh, there's like, uh, depending on how tomorrow goes, um, I've always done this freelance, completely freelance. Um, I worked freelance for years and years up until probably the last year. And then just recently in the last six months was the first time that I was like, I should try to do something with this skill uh, professionally. And I've had a handful of opportunities present themselves. So kind of hard to say that I have something applicable for this currently. A lot of it comes down to just personal struggles with, you know, learning to code, I guess, in general, or specifically PowerShell for developing these payloads. Um, but 
I can tell you the greatest skill that you can ever acquire is learning how to learn. Like that's something that people don't realize is that learning itself is a skill, not learning something specific, learning how to learn, learning how to ask the right questions. Why didn't this work? What was the variable that caused it not to work? What is the name of the variable that caused it not to work? And now I Google that variable. And how do I compare this answer to the other ones that are out there? Um, Learning how to learn is everything. And it's the first thing that anyone should do. You're so right. I love to hear that because it's so important. Learning and the systems associated with it is a skill that you use forever. Yes, in IT, but in all your hobbies and everything else. It's what you do. It is the reusable skill. So uh, for those that are listening to the podcast on the YouTube, uh, Andrew was literally dancing for joy to that answer. He was very excited to hear learning to learn. I love yeah, it when a guest says what skill. I want to say. Yeah, that's so. the greatest skill that I have ever acquired. And again, that came back to that story about that girl in front of me. That's like where that came from, like seeing her just agree to redo her paper just because of comma. You know, once you learn how to go through the steps of what it takes to actually learn something, the process of learning something, it's, it's life-changing because it hasn't just applied to like just hacking or programming. It's applied to every single thing in my entire life. Every single problem that I come across, whether it's personal, whether it's uh, business, it, it doesn't matter. The same tactics apply to absolutely everything and has made everything in my life easier. Dude, if you're listening to this right now, you are getting some gold. If you're able to take this lesson and kind of process it and it resonates with you, this is some gold stuff, in my opinion. All right. Well, I mean, I don't I don't want to stop Andrew's happy dance over here. But uh I, I don't know, uh Jacoby, if you know this, but Andrew takes shilling pretty serious. It's a it's a big part of his life. And I'm here to tell you that uh I mean he's all right. He's right. I would. I wouldn't brag that I heard Andrew Shield, but uh, I mean, here you go. Take it away, Andrew. Like and comment on YouTube. Five stars on your podcast platform of choice. Appreciate you for that. If you leave a comment, that's even better. Uh, email us powershellpdq.com or you can tweet us at powershellpod. What an amazing guest today. I loved what we covered. I think we covered some awesome hacker, juicy stuff, uh, how to use devices to take advantage of things, all the way down to imposter syndrome, and some of the the human things that are present in everything. Thank you so much to our lovely guest. I am Jacoby. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plough. They're serious. They mean what they're saying. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com.